We're going to get back into Ephesians today. You know, we're, I, I hope you're enjoying our, our um, trek, our journey through, through Ephesians. It's just been a, a wonderfully, for me, if for no one else, a wonderfully blessed um, journey through God's Word. And as we come to Ephesians today, we're going to be in chapter 4 again today. Um, and I know I do this in almost every time. I have to set the picture. I've got to put things in context so that what we're going to say makes sense. Especially if you're visiting with us, you, you wouldn't know some of the, the big picture, so you figure out how the little part of one day fit into the big picture. So we take a few minutes every time and kind of give the big picture that's particularly important for the topic we're going to look at today. So, so today it's important to, to remember you know, what the big picture is. And what we find here in Ephesians, and I, and I want to say it a little different way than I've said it before, is that Paul's explaining to us how the church um, is to be a wonderful, and I want to say it this way, exception to the rest of the world. That we're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. We're supposed to be an exception. Um, literally being exceptional. Meaning we, we live and act and think and feel differently than the world around us without Jesus. Um, the church is to be this place of loving unity where dissimilar people gather together um, around the bond that is greater than, than nationality or status or politics, you know, that Christians are bound together in Christ. That we are brothers, and literally, Jesus says, brothers and sisters. And this is supposed to be a place, in order to be in the exception, a place where we love instead of hate, where we help instead of hurt. We're supposed to be completely different than, than what we were without Jesus. And as we do this, what what Ephesians is teaching us is that we reveal the reality and the glory of God. That our transformation in Christ-likeness, interestingly, a prophetic word today talked exactly about that, being transformed in Christ-likeness, that as you allow God to work in your life, He will make you more like Jesus. That our transformation in Christ-likeness shows the world that God is real and that God is wonderful. And that's what we want, right? That's That's the main gist of the book of Ephesians. And while this is especially important to remember today because we're going to look at the Apostle Paul is going to deal with a topic or we're going to take one of the topics the Apostle Paul deals with. And I think that this keeping the big picture that we're supposed to be the exception, we're supposed to be different, um, is really important when we come to this topic. In fact, I can't think of any topic that has a greater potential to either help or hinder the loving unity that Jesus is working to establish in the church than the topic we're going to deal with today. I think it's that important. And so the topic we're going to look at today is a topic of forgiveness. So grab your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And when I read this at first, you might go, well, forgiveness is just one little part of what you're saying. Hang on, because I'm going to explain to you, I think, what the Apostle Paul is trying to get at. And you're going to understand this, this whole thing really centers on, on forgiveness. So Ephesians chapter 4, two verses, verses 31 and 32. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ Jesus has also forgiven you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. 
Now, I need to point something out here about structure. Um, Paul keeps using the same structure over and over, as we've been, we've been noticing, I've been pointing out. He says, basically this, put off or put away certain attitudes and actions, and then put on other attitudes and actions um, that really tend to be the opposite attitude and action to what you put off. That the point he's been making through this, through this um, whole letter, this whole chapter in particular, is that there's an internal transformation that takes place inside of us. And that that internal transformation takes place as that happens, we will put off certain behaviors and attitudes. And then, as a result of the behaviors and actions, we'll put on other things. That we don't put on the things that look like Jesus just by self-will. It comes as a result of internal transformation Within, of us, within us. And that's what we find here as we're looking at um, what Paul's dealing with another topic. Again here, he uses this idea. Put off, he says, this, these wrong things. Put off bitterness and wrath and improper anger and clamor and slander and malice. He says, put those things off. And then, because of transformation, put on kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. So here's the question that, that I always approach Scripture this way. I look at things and I ask myself questions. And so here's the first question I think we really have to ask ourselves because some of you maybe have said, I want to put off anger or I want to put off clamor or slander or malice. And so the question we ask is, how can someone put away bitterness or wrath or improper anger or slander or malice? How is that possible? And the answer I believe the Apostle Paul is going to point out to us as it's found is that we replace it with something else. That we replace it with forgiveness, which is the result of kind, which result in rather kindness and tenderheartedness towards one another. If we forgive each other, the natural result will be that we will have we'll be kind towards each other and tenderhearted towards each other. And let me show you how I think this works. Uh, think about this: What are these things that Paul says we are to put off? What is bitterness? What is wrath? What is slander? What is malice? All of these are attitudes or actions that arise ultimately from unforgiveness. Let me explain. Bitterness is a state of being where someone is sour and angry and closed off and harsh, primarily because they harbor unforgiveness in their heart. Matter of fact, you can hear it said and find it written that people will say that bitterness is the fruit of unforgiveness. That if you're unforgiving and consistently unforgiving, you will become bitter. Now, if you've ever been around a bitter person, they're no fun to be around. Well, that's the fruit, the result of being unforgiving. What about wrath? And I want to say this, human wrath, because there is wrath that's from God. God is wrathful. It's his right action towards injustice and sin. But when Paul's talking about here, he talks about wrath, talks about anger, he's talking about them used in wrong ways. And so how about human wrath? Human wrath is, the, is, the, is excessive anger and hate poured out because of what? Because of unforgiveness. I'm wrathful toward, I'm unforgiving towards something. I've been wounded and I'm unforgiving. So the expression of that, the pouring out of that, is excessive anger and hate. That's wrath. How about, how about improper anger? And we talked about anger last week and that's why I'm saying improper anger because we found there is proper anger. Improper anger is anger that has not been processed and has grown, is ex- expressed towards others whose root is unforgiveness, right? There is something, some unforgiveness 
fueling the anger. I'm mad about something. That's why I have improper anger. Something's happened. I've not forgiven it. And therefore, I'm expressing anger towards it. How about slander? Slander is criticizing or tearing down another person. What's the cause of that? Why would somebody criticize or tear down another person? Because there's been a cause of some kind of hurt and there's unforgiveness towards that person and somehow they've wronged you so you say things to tear them down. And think of the last one, malice. Malice is the desire to do harm or evil intent. You have malice towards another person. Well, why would you have a desire to do harm or evil intent towards somebody? What arises ultimately from unforgiveness towards another person. I'm not, I've not forgiven something that they've done and I'm angry about it, so I, I will you ill and I want to do you harm. That's what malice is. Think about this. In all of these, if there were no underlying unforgiveness, there would be no negative attitudes or actions that would need to be put off so something else could be put on. You see that? If you take unforgiveness out of the equation, you don't have any of the negative things that the Apostle Paul just mentioned. So Paul is explaining that if we are to put off these negatives and put on the positives of kindness and tenderheartedness, the key is forgiveness. If I really live in forgiveness, if my life is defined by forgiveness, I don't just forgive this, but I am a forgiving person, then the negatives will naturally be replaced by the positives of the things that Paul is is talking about. We must realize that Paul is dealing with something huge here. I really mean it. I, I, think this is, I think this is gigantic. In fact, I go as far as to say that he is dealing with the very core of Christianity when he's dealing with, with forgiveness and unforgiveness. That the church can only be what it is intended to be when it really understands and extends forgiveness towards each other. So the church, you and me, because we're the church, the church isn't brick and mortar. Some of you said maybe today, I'm going to church. What, you, what I hope you meant by that is I'm going to the gathering of people who know Jesus. The church is not walls and roofs. So the church, you and me, we are to extend forgiveness as we have received forgiveness. See, that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching here in verse 32 of our text. That's why I think it's the key. Because he summarizes these put off, put on with this idea, forgive as you have been forgiven. Verse 32 says, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And friends, here's the key to being a forgiving person. The key to being a forgiving person isn't trying harder. The key to being a forgiving person is understanding forgiveness and your life in a proper context. You see, the only way the church, you and I, can ever do this to be forgive as we've been forgiven is as we begin to understand the magnitude of forgiveness that has been extended towards each of us. The only way we can ever forgive is if we understand forgiveness, the big picture of forgiveness. We understand the magnitude of forgiveness that has been extended towards each one of us. It can, be, um, it can be so easy to forget who we are and where we've come from. If you've been a believer for a period of time, it can be so easy to just forget your old life, to forget how messed up you really were without Jesus, to forget, no, maybe this way, a better way, how lost you were and how desperate you were without Jesus in your life, to forget that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus has forgiven us simply because of his love and his grace. 
that we don't and never have deserved his forgiveness, never can deserve his forgiveness, yet he forgave us. And today, guess what? He forgives us. And guess what tomorrow? He's going to forgive you. He is forgiveness. And this is the exact point that Jesus was making. Um, Paul's talking about here, but earlier Jesus made the exact same point when he taught a parable that's recorded in Matthew 18. And I think we need to look at that the parable together today. It's a parable called the unmerciful servant. And the whole point of it, as a matter of fact, a lot of times people miss the point of it. They look at the result of unforgiveness. But the point of the parable is that Jesus is himself explaining the magnitude of the forgiveness that has been extended towards each one of us. So grab your Bible and turn to, to Matthew 18. And let's look at this story, this parable that Jesus tells, that he's trying to make the exact same point that the Apostle Paul is making here in this text. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, it says this, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how, shall, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I, and, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Because that was what was understood for the day. You had to forgive somebody at least seven times. That was law. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now is Jesus trying to do a math equation here? Is he trying to, he's trying to make a point. Forgive and keep on forgiving. There's no end to how much forgiveness you should offer. And then he tells a story to illustrate his point. For this reason... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Now understand what 10,000 talents is. A talent was worth more than 15 years wages of labor. 10,000 of those he owed to the master. So one who owed 10,000 talents, just an unimaginable amount of millions of dollars was brought to the owner. But since he did not have the means to pay to repay, the Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now a denarii was like one day's wage. That's still a lot of money, but it's basically a hundred days work. Nothing in comparison to what the other guy owed. So the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling and went out and threw him in prison until he paid back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning, uh, summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that he was owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from his heart. And I know a lot of people look at that last couple of verses and say, well, my goodness, how does this reconcile this with God? Well, this would reconcile one thing. This way, God's serious about forgiveness. But the main point of the parable 
is that God has forgiven each of us a huge debt. One that no matter what you did, you could never, ever, ever repay. That God has extended to us forgiveness and mercy that is limitless. That's what God has given to us. God himself has forgiven his creation. Think of that. God is the creator and we are the creation and God has forgiven us. Think about being parents how hard sometimes it is to forgive your children because you say, I'm the authority, they did me wrong. Magnify that by a hundred billion times. God is the creator and he extends, he extends forgiveness to us, the creation. And that if we really get the enormity of what that means, how great that forgiveness is, then forgiving others becomes a very small thing. That's the point he's making here, the Apostle Paul is trying to make. Forgive as we have been forgiven. In comparison to the forgiveness that God has extended towards us, any forgiveness that we may extend to any other person, no matter how egregious it may seem to us, is small in comparison to what God has done to us. And this is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians. There will always be occasion for hurt and offense in the family of God. Friends, just write that down memorize it, make it a part of your life that you never forget, there will always be opportunity to be offended in relationships and the closer the relationships are, the greater the opportunity of offense. That's why in your marriage it's a greater opportunity and in the church world because we're brothers and sisters, there will always be occasion for hurt and offense in the family of God. That's just the way it is. But in light of the forgiveness we have received, our offering forgiveness is a relatively small thing. And it's the thing that reveals our genuine change in Christ-likeness. It's the thing that makes us seem peculiar and unique to the world around us. We do what, the, what people don't do naturally. We extend forgiveness. It's the way we reveal the reality of God to the world. So the way you can forgive another is to realize and celebrate the magnitude of the forgiveness that has been given to you. Since I have been forgiven so much, it's only right that I forgive others. To treat others as I have been treated by God, that's the core of Christianity. Christianity is about receiving and extending forgiveness. And understand this, because you say I've been hurt deeply. Even your ability to forgive is a result of Christ in you. Forgive, think of this, Christ dwells within you. He is forgiveness. And He dwells within you. And when you choose to line up with what He wants to do of being infinitely forgiving, you are allowing Him to function through you and He forgives through you. It's never even your ability to do it anyways. It's Christ in you your hope of glory, your hope of being glorious, living like the way you're supposed to live, He does it in and through you if you surrender to Him and allow Him to transform you in Christ's likeness. So it's not just trying harder. It's becoming transformed into the image of Jesus and then allowing Him to forgive through you. Yes, we have a part to play in it, but it's ultimately Him within us. Now, you get that? Because I want to switch gears here now. I want, to, I want to take what the Apostle Paul is saying here, what Jesus is saying in his parable, and I want to apply this in a very personal way right now. 
Um, I'm going to take the risk of being very transparent. Some of you are going, Mark is going to be very transparent? Isn't Mark like the most transparent person we know? And I think I am. But I'm going to take the risk of being very transparent so that we can see how very important forgiveness is. Matter of fact, if we will get this just a little bit and apply it better, this church will only continue to be greater and greater and greater in its, in its ability to resonate the reality of Christ to, the, to your friends and family members and neighbors around you so that they come to know Jesus. That's how important this is. So I'm willing to take a big risk here and be very transparent. And I want to say as I start, I want you to know that I'll be, um, before I start that I ask Suzanne permission to share what I'm going to share. So, as most of you probably know, a few weeks ago, Suzanne's stepfather passed away. Tragic accident. Fell off a deck, broke his neck, and died instantly. His life and death and the lives of others around him, I believe, have a lot to teach us about forgiveness. In fact, in fact, during the days leading up to the funeral and the days that have followed, my mind keeps turning to the topic of forgiveness. Positive and negative the results of being forgiving and results of not being forgiving. So let me explain. And I'm going to be intentionally somewhat generic here, but say a little bit of stuff because I don't want to embarrass my wife or make her uncomfortable, but it's it's going to make her a little uncomfortable, and some of you also. So without getting too specific, many years ago, Suzanne's stepfather who passed away was our pastor. Matter of fact, he was some of you sitting in here's pastor also. Um, And so he was our pastor, And um, 27 years ago, there was a divorce and there was a remarriage and Suzanne's mom married Bob, our, our pastor, our former pastor. The circumstances involved were incredibly painful and they were incredibly difficult for a lot of people, for a whole church. A lot of people were hurt, a lot of people were angry, and in particular, two families were absolutely crushed and devastated. It was, it, was, it, was, it was bad. So that's the past. Now let's fast forward 27 years. Bob tragically dies in an accident three weeks ago. And his death and funeral caused a whole bunch of people to deal with how they had dealt with what had happened 27 years ago. The death reminded them of the past. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about how people have responded And I've come up with what I want to say is three categories to define how people have dealt with forgiveness. And I want to explain them because this is what I want. I want to help you see you. I want to help you identify yourself, not towards this situation, but towards life in general, maybe things in your past that have been painful. And I want you to see if you are where you want to be regarding forgiveness. Or if maybe you need to take some steps forward or maybe downward to your knees and surrender. There's something blowing up on this microphone here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm hearing yes. I'm hearing yes. That's a head saying yes. It's like echoing. Um, if you need to take some steps forward or, or downward, meaning um, that you are, that you need to come to God and talk about forgiveness in your life. So three ways that I've seen people deal with forgiveness or unforgiveness um, in this situation. The first one is this. It's what I'm going to call obedient forgiveness. 
and this is maybe one reason I actually did something I've ever done before. I, I gave my notes to Suzanne and I made her read my sermon before I preached it to make sure that I didn't say anything and she probably didn't like this part to be added in. But it's true nonetheless. I've seen this obedient forgiveness displayed from the very beginning in Suzanne's life. And I'm going to try to use people to illustrate, um, at least for two of them, what I've seen about forgiveness. I've seen the idea of obedient forgiveness um, lived out in Suzanne's life through this whole process. When her mom left her father and married Bob, it was a shock to Suzanne, it was a shock to the family, it was a shock to the church. And I don't know anything that's been more difficult for my wife to walk through than what we walked through 27 years ago. But from the very beginning, she took this position and she said it to me. And I was angry with her actually for a position because I was mad and I was unforgiving. Um, is that she said this after a few days. God has called us to forgive and love and to leave judgment to him. And the Lord had spoke that to her. And she, she said it out front. This is what it's going to be. This is the path I'm going to walk in. God has called us to forgive and love and to leave judgment to him. And I've watched her live that out for the 27 years. And I'll let me tell you, it's not always been easy. It's always been, it's been very difficult. There's been really difficult things to navigate in that. Um, because other people weren't taking the same position. They wanted you to take sides and all this different stuff. But I've watched her do this. As a result, we have had a really good relationship with her mom and Bob until he passed away for these past 27 years. Um... I've enjoyed being with them. Our kids have been blessed to have them as their grandparents in their lives. Matter of fact, I'd say this. They went out of their way to be really good grandparents to my kids. One reason, because a lot of other grandkids were not allowed to have any contact with them anymore from that point on. Some people actually told their grandkids that he died. And so never any contact ever again. But my kids were blessed. They went and bought pontoon boats and, and knee boards so that they could drag my kids around lakes when we came to visit. They spent money. They, they took my kids and, and us, when we had no money, took us to Dollywood and Dixie Stampede and all these expensive vacation kind of places. They paid for all of it. We enjoyed being with them. And as a result, in Suzanne's life, maybe the most important thing I've seen in Suzanne is I've seen her grow in love and grace and joy in her life. She chose to forgive because she had been forgiven. And I've often said, I've learned about genuine forgiveness by watching my wife walk through this. And this is not the first time I've said that. I've said that a hundred times before. She was able to attend the funeral with no regrets and no bitterness. She went there and she was able to to celebrate what she had had and cry because of what she had lost. She represents the best way, and I'm not doing this to elevate a person, she's just an example that I can give you. She represents the best way, the right way, the way that brings glory to God as, listen, broken people learn to live in grace and forgiveness together. I watched that for 27 years. So that's, what I, that's one thing I saw about forgiveness. But then there's a second type of forgiveness. Remember, we're going to talk about three. The next type of forgiveness that I've observed, and this is just my way of defining it, I'm going to call it this, almost forgiveness. Almost forgiveness. 
And the person I've learned best illustrates that is me. The person in the situation that best illustrates almost forgiveness is me. If you would have asked me if I'd forgiven the people involved in the events of the past, I would have said absolutely. I have a relationship with them. I take vacations to spend time with them. They're welcome in my house. Matter of fact, they're not welcome in a lot of other people's houses. So every time they'd come to visit, they'd stay in our house. In the last two years, they've been in our house, I think, eight weeks. Um, I would have said, of course, I'd forgiven. Um, Even though I knew the situation had caused my wife incredible, enormous pain, I would have said, yes, I'd forgiven. But I think I found out through this process that's not totally true. You see, at the funeral, um, I was filled with conflict at the funeral. Here's all these people gathered together from the church that, that Bob and Sherry are attending now. They've only been attending it for about five years since he retired. And they all came and talked about the pastors and the people, literally dozens and dozens, talked about what a wonderful man Bob was. And there was no mention of past failures. And there was no mention of past wrongs. And no mention of estranged children. And no mention of broken families. And I found myself in a lot of conflict sitting in the, in the service. I'm asking myself, why am I feeling like this? And I'm having a conversation with God through the, the long process of it. Why is it bothering me to hear so many nice things about Bob? And I think the Lord let me see, well, Mark, why? Is because I hadn't really completely forgiven him for what had gone on. You see, forgiveness says this. Forgiveness says, I want what's best for someone. I actually want to see good come to them. That's when you know you've forgiven somebody. When you just don't endure them, you don't make a joke about what happened in order to sarcastically deal with the pain of it, but you honestly want them to be blessed and to prosper. But inside at the funeral, I just wanted someone to stand up and say, but don't you remember the past. Don't you remember what went on? Doesn't anybody here know the truth? And this is what I felt the Lord saying, you know, church. That's not the way I want God to forgive me. I pray every day when I pray the Lord's Prayer. It's part of my morning prayer, my morning confession time. I pray from the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I believe God forgives it all when I ask Him. He does not hold back part and bring it up again in the future and say, yeah, that's wonderful, but doesn't anybody remember what Mark did when he was 19? If you knew what I did when I was 19, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. I'm telling you the truth. You wouldn't want me to, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor if you knew what I did when I was younger. But it's, it's forgiven. It's under the blood. It's gone. It's not remembered anymore. I believe God forgives it all. He does not hold back part and bring it up again in the future. But I think that's exactly what I had been doing over the last 27 years. Forgiving, trying to move forward, but still holding on to some of the pain of the past to somehow serve me in some way. But through the funeral, the Lord let me see something beautiful. And I honestly mean this. Beautiful. And it, the illustration was the funeral and Bob's life, but it had nothing to do with Bob's life and the funeral. It was an illustration of God and how he wants to be. 
You see, I saw dozens of people who knew nothing of the past, who allowed Bob to become who he really was. Someone who loved and served and helped and blessed. They loved this guy. In fact, they nicknamed him the bishop. And they just loved him. And what I saw was God's idea of forgiveness, where he really does give second chances without bringing up past failures. That's what he does in our life. He really does give us second chances without bringing up our past failures. It was a living illustration of God's type of loving forgiveness. And I was thinking as I was listening, wouldn't it be wonderful if we, the church, if Portview Church did the same? Without having to have a person literally move to a different start, a different state, and, and hide their past, which is what was, happened, and start a new life. Wouldn't it be nice if we could actually extend that kind of forgiveness to a person in our midst? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we became healthy and mature enough to forgive as we have been forgiven without holding on to the pain of the past? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, that's what God says His church can be like. That's what He's getting at here. That's how we can be the exception to the rest of the world. He makes it possible, not by us trying harder to do it, but by us being transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ so that we feel like Jesus and we act like Jesus. And one of the ways we become like Jesus and reveal Jesus is that we forgive as we have been forgiven. Because when they nailed Jesus to the cross, He wasn't lying when He said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He really meant it. So I think I walked away from the funeral a better man. I really do. I feel I walked away from a better man, a better understanding of God. Wanting, and here's what I wanted. I wanted to be more fully forgiving. Asking myself and then asking my wife, who else may we, maybe have we almost only almost forgiven? Who else is there in my life that I'm, I've, I've almost forgiven them, but not really? Because who they are, I want to I I make sure that's different from here on out. Because I may have to look at them in a coffin someday. So that's number two. Then there's one more group, number three, the third group. This is the saddest group of them all. Um, and I'm going to call them the withheld forgiveness. Withheld forgiveness. There were those who willfully had never forgiven what had happened. To this day, they hold on to their right to be hurt and to be offended as tightly today as they did 27 years ago. And the sad truth is this, and this is my opinion, but I think it's accurate. They are bitter and they are joyless and they are unhappy. Now, I really do believe these folks are Christians. I'm not going to say any names. I believe they're Christians. But their unforgiveness has poisoned them made them bitter, and it's poisoned the people around them. You could literally see the clans of who had chosen not to forgive and the poison that had extended beyond the most wounded people that were in the center and, and, literally, and literally oozed out from them to the people around them. And I simply thought this, not with a sense of condemnation. Matter of fact, I didn't have a sense of condemnation because there was a sense of condemnation. I had to start condemning myself first. And I simply thought, how sad. God has so much more for them. 
He has a good and beautiful life of joy and gladness and the gift of freedom that comes from forgiveness. When we forgive, we get freedom. But in the light of joy and gladness, that, that life of joy and gladness only flows when we forgive as we have been forgiven. That's the caveat. That's the linchpin. If we want to experience this, we have to understand the magnitude of what we've been forgiven of and then say, God, now help me to extend that forgiveness to everybody who's hurt or who's, who maybe hurt me or offended me, anyone that I've offended also. I'll tell you this, I surely don't have all the answers on the topic of forgiveness. I've been through, I've been through school the last couple of weeks about it. But I know this, the core of Christianity is forgiveness, receiving and extending forgiveness. With all forgiveness, we'll never be the family of love and unity that God calls us to be. Matter of fact, the thing that divides churches and causes the 20,000 Protestant denominations that exist is because of unforgiveness. It's why? It's because of unforgiveness. Lord, help us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Amen? We are going, I'm going to just pray, and then we're going to sing the same transformation song that we've been singing as a prayer. So Pastor Mitch, you can come as we're praying. Would you join me? Lord, I simply ask this. With honest, open hearts, help us. Lord, help us to see if there's unforgiveness in our hearts. Because Lord, even the one who can say, I choose to forgive, I'm a willing forgiver, still probably is, we still probably have issues that still we harbor some stuff towards somebody else, maybe. Help us to forgive. Help us to, to see ourselves honestly today. Not with an eye of condemnation because you're not condemning. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But with an eye of healing. That we know that as we understand the hugeness of what's been extended to us, the gift of grace of forgiveness, undeserved, and the indwelling reality of your presence, that then, Lord, we can extend forgiveness because of you in us. Help us see ourselves clearly. Help us see, Lord, maybe situations or individuals in our mind's eye right now where we're harboring unforgiveness. And Lord, we just make this vow to you. We say we're open to you and we ask you to help us to walk a path of forgiveness towards that person. God, every situation is different, so we need to have your wisdom on how to deal with them. Some are really old and some things happened this morning. We want to not let anything stand between us and other people in the kingdom of God. We want to forgive as we've been forgiven. So Lord, we ask forgive through us as we open our hearts to more fully grow in you. We give ourselves to you. Make us unique in the world. The exception to the rule that we forgive as we've been forgiven. Lord, we trust that you're going to help us in this area. 
And would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Let's sing a prayer. We're going to sing the prayer that we've been saying three or four weeks now. The song of transformation, an old chorus of the church. Change my heart, O oh God. Let's sing this through a couple of times. Make it a prayer this morning. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, O oh God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. Transformation is a matter of the heart. And Lord, we open up our lives. I know, Lord, in this place there is probably some, some real calluses formed on our heart because of genuine hurt, betrayal. And Lord, you're not telling us in forgiveness it means we need to put ourselves in a position of, of, of harm or that we have to even necessarily have a relationship with a person who is still destructive towards us. But what it means, God, is that we can put that situation into your hands and we can allow you to forgive through us so that we have the freedom of wanting the best for them. That we're like you toward them because there's not a person on this planet that you don't want the best for. And so, God, you can transform us that we can join you in that and we want the best for them whatever that may be. So release us, God, from unforgiveness. Help our hearts to be transformed. Help us today to take a step forward to see where we're at. 
and move forward in the transformation of forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus.